Okay, well, uh, I guess many of us in this room could, I'm not asking you to do this, but many of us could point to someone we don't get along with so well. For some of you, unfortunately, it may be the person you once stood next to in front of the altar and made your most solemn vows to. For some of you, it may be someone at work. Perhaps there's someone who keeps stealing your ideas and getting all the credit for them. It might be, and this happened to us last night, it might be that neighbour who doesn't understand that the hours between 11pm and 7am were made for sleeping. It might be someone you barely know, but all of us have someone we perhaps don't get along with so easily. And if I was to ask you why, you'd probably immediately do what I would do, and you would start pointing to the circumstances. They stole my idea. They broke their promise. He's never there for the kids, or she's never there for me. We'd all point to the circumstances that we think are the cause or the source of the problem. And James, in the passage we're going to be looking at today, says, just hold on a moment. It's time that you and I face the music. It's time that you and I grow up a bit and face up to what, if we're being really honest in our heart of hearts, we really know to be true. We need to start looking beneath the surface a little, beneath all the finger-pointing and below what he said or she said or he didn't do or she didn't do. We, We need to look beneath all of that and begin looking at the source or the origin of the fighting and the quarrels among us. Now, before we look any further at what James says, I want to just make you a guarantee. If you've got the guts and it takes guts, if you've got the guts, if you've got the nerve to open your mind and not shut down because of who's sitting next to you at the moment, or close down because of the circumstances that you're in the midst of right now, and if you stay open for the next 30 or 35 minutes and allow God to take this central truth that we're going to be exploring and kind of let him jam it into your conscience, and if you'd have the courage not only to listen, but to embrace it, I've got a promise for you. Today, because of this truth, there is the potential for you to get to the point where you no longer blame other people for your unhappiness and your discontentment. Or let me put it like this. For most of us in this room, there are people around us who feel something of the pressure of our unhappiness the pressure of our occasional discontentment. They feel responsible or in some way to blame for how unhappy we are. But if you had allowed James and the Holy Spirit to speak to you today, and then I'd say you have the opportunity to to walk out of this room a little later on with a brand new perspective on all of your relationships. I'm telling you, This one simple principle that we're going to be unpacking through the course of the next half hour or so has the potential to set you free from spending the rest of your life blaming other people for your unhappiness or blaming your circumstances. I'd be be happy if only he did this or if she did this or if they did this. It's like James says, let's try and get past all of that. But let's begin to look at the real source of the quarrels and the relational conflicts that you face even on a daily basis. Let's look at the passage together. Here we go. James chapter 4, verse 1. James asks the question, what causes fights and quarrels among you? And he sets about answering that question 
with a question of his own. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? I just want you to take a closer look at those two phrases that James sets in contrast here. Among you versus within you. He says, your temptation is to think that the reason you have problems relationally is that you have problems among you. But he says you really need to learn to look beyond that. The problem between you and another person isn't what is going on among you, it's what's within you. The reason we have a conflict here is because we have a conflict in here. The the reason we have all these battles raging here is because we have all these battles raging in here and they're battles which we feel we're losing. It's like there's a battle raging inside each of us and it's raging to such an extent that it begins to spill out on the people around us and very often onto the people closest to us. Isn't it interesting? This is kind of in my face every single day because of the nature of my job. So many pastoral situations, it, it, it kind of reveals this. Isn't it interesting that the people closest to us tend to be the people we end up hurting the most? Why is that? Isn't it interesting that the people we say we love the most tend to be the ones we're constantly having to apologize to? Why is that? James says, let me explain. Your external conflict is caused by an internal conflict that you struggle to contain. And consequently, the people closest to you are going to constantly catch something of the overflow, something of the shrapnel from that internal battle that wars inside you. Let me just pause there for a moment. Before we go on and talk about what that battle actually is. See, I want us to just consider why that is such a hard truth for some of us to accept. This is how it works. This is how it plays out. If you've hurt me, and I'm mad at you, and normally speaking, I want everyone else to know that I'm mad with you. And the moment I start taking responsibility for my own emotions, it's as though I lose my story. The moment I have to start admitting it's partly my fault, I have to start accepting responsibility for my emotions and my hurt and my bad attitude. And the moment I have to start owning responsibility for all of that stuff, I don't get to tell my sad story anymore. I can't get you to hate her as much as I hate her. And you can't get me to hate him as much as you hate him. It's like we lose all of our leverage. But there's something in me, and perhaps there's something in you as well, that wants to take our little story and maintain at least a little bit of our anger, maintain a little bit of our attitude, maintain something of our leverage against the people who have hurt us, who have maybe treated us unjustly, the, the people we don't get along so well with. It's like, I want you to listen to my story and believe my story and side with me against them. And the moment I begin to follow James' advice here and start admitting that at least part of the problem is something in me, the moment I start doing that, I start letting go of my leverage. Suddenly, I'm to blame. And I don't want to be to blame. 
I want you to be to blame. So my temptation, and maybe your temptation as well, is to deal with all kinds of relational difficulties at a very surface level. Because I can point to the things that you said and the things that you did, and I can very easily build a case against you. And James in this passage, as we're going to see, says, come on! You call yourself a Christian, you, you've got to get beyond that. You, you've got to face up to the fact that your external conflicts are down to an internal conflict which you are struggling to contain. Listen, the battles between us tend to be caused by a battle within us that rages out of control. And if you will ever have the courage to step up, to step forward and acknowledge that one single truth, it has the power to revolutionize every single relationship you're in. But in my heart of hearts, a lot of the time, if I'm being honest, I don't want to do it. And maybe you don't want to do it because we lose something of our story. Suddenly, I can't paint you as the culprit and myself as the victim anymore. Suddenly, I'm the culprit and you are the victim. And suddenly, we've got to start talking about this. We've got to try and work this out. And I've got some apologizing I've got to do. So let's see what James goes on to say here. He, he really nails us. Verse 1, what, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? And then here it is, verse 2. You want something, but don't get it. Do, do you know why it is? You are mad at someone. You don't have to tell me the whole story, all the ins and outs, what he said, what she didn't do, and so on. The bottom line is, there is something that you want, and you're not getting it, and so you're mad. You don't have to try and tell me that actually you deserve it. Even if you do deserve it, the fact is you want something, and you're not getting it. You know, most of the people who suffer with depression that I've ever spoken with, once we've moved past all the he said and she said and got right down to something of the core issue, do you know why they're depressed? Ultimately, it's because there's something they want and they can't get it. But maybe they imagined circumstances would work out so differently for them. Maybe they thought it'd be so much easier. They, they didn't foresee or anticipate it being quite so difficult as this. I don't know, maybe he promised you a lifetime of togetherness and now he's gone. Or she just doesn't satisfy you the way she used to. Or I'm just not getting any sense of fulfillment from my job. I, I thought having kids would have solved all my problems and it seems like it's multiplied all my problems. It's like you want something, but you don't get it. That's the source of conflict. Talk to a load of people with anger issues. We can go back and cover all the back history of who said what and who did what. But when you get right down to it, normally speaking, there's something they want and they can't have it. And so they're angry. And so James says, you want to know the source of all the fights and all the quarrels among you? It's not what she does and he does. It's not so much what she promised or he said he was going to do and they didn't come through and you can't have this and you didn't get that opportunity and everyone else got that opportunity, everyone else got invited, you didn't, you were left on the sidelines and he says this and she says that. 
You know, you can blame all of that stuff forever and ever. But the bottom line is, if you're going to be mature, if you're going to, in a spiritual sense, grow up, if you're ever going to move past it, and you've got to come to this conclusion, the reason I'm angry, the reason I'm depressed, the reason I'm mad at you, the reason we just can't seem to get along, the reason I hope I never see him or her again, the reason is, bottom line, whether you are the victim or not, there was something I wanted and I just didn't get my way. You know, if you're a parent, or even if you're not a parent, even if you've kind of observed kids from a distance, it's very easy to see this with children. I mean, we, we just look at our children, they're fighting over who's going to sit in which seat, and how come she sat there last time, and now it's my turn, and they've got three toys, and I've only got two, and they played on the PlayStation for two hours yesterday, so why can't I today? And as a parent, we, we listen to our kids arguing over all that stuff, and we think, that's not the issue at all. They're just a bunch of selfish kids. I mean, the, the issue is pretty obvious for everyone to see. They just want their own way. But never once have I had one of my kids, how mature they might be, never had one of them with all of their spiritual insight, and I've tried to raise them well, I've never had one of them in the middle of an argument stop and say, you know what, I've come to realize that the real problem here is my inherent selfishness. That's never happened. It's not that he sat in the front seat last time or they had the first choice of the yogurts yesterday. Dad, I've just come to be honest with you. I just want my own way. You know, as parents, we see our kids squabbling all of the time, don't we? And God, our heavenly Father, looks at us and says, come on. It's not that she sat there last time and now it's your turn. It's not that he got the promotion and you didn't. It's not that they broke their promise. It's not any of that. I mean, come on, grow up. Let's face it, you're mad, you're upset, you're depressed because you wanted something and you didn't get it. And if you're ever going to move past this, you need to own your part of the responsibility here. And granted, once you own it, it diffuses the anger. And once you own it, you have to face that person and take responsibility for how things have been. And granted, if you start accepting responsibility, you won't be able to tell your sad story anymore. But God would say, if you are ever going to move past all of this, and if you're ever going to be who I have called you to be as my children, you have got to face the fact that the root issue is, you just didn't get your own way. I mean, that's tough, isn't it? But James doesn't leave it there. He goes on to describe what happens when we don't get our own way. And he's incredibly discerning here. Verse 2, you want something, but don't get it. So what do you do? He says, you kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. He says, you know what happens when you can't have something you want? You do whatever you have to do to try and get it. And he uses this word kill. He's saying it can take you to all kinds of extremes. Now he's addressing this to church people. So probably he doesn't mean literally kill people. But think of what you've done to other people in order to get your own way. 
Think of what you've done to your husband or your wife just to get what you want. Think of how you've treated your parents or your kids just to get your own way. Think of how you've treated your boss, your employees, your friends. Think of the people you've run over and destroyed. And in some cases, you've completely burnt down, as we talked about last week, just because you wanted to get your own way. James says you kill and you covet. The, the word for covet here literally means to hotly pursue something. He says you want something and you hotly pursue it. You want something and you get rid of everything and everybody between you and what you want. And then look what he says. You kill and you covet, but at the end of the day, when you've used up all your tricks, all your leverage, all your seduction, all your investing, all your manipulation. You've done everything you can to get what you want, but at the end of the day, when you can't have what you want, that's when you get mad. And you won't speak to her anymore. Or you wish you'd never married him. Or or you wish you never went to work there. Or you've asked to be transferred to another department. And you tell everyone you meet your sad story. And throughout this passage, James is effectively saying, grow up, be truthful. The bottom line is, you just didn't get your own way. Well, yeah, but I don't really want to focus on that because it makes it sound like I'm being a little bit childish and just throwing all my toys out of the pram. I'd I'd much rather focus on the circumstances. But James goes, come on. All of this is because you didn't get your way, did you? No. That's really the problem, isn't it? Yeah, that's really the problem. You know what we do? So there's this thing in us called self. We all have it. And self is a bit like this monster that can never be satisfied. And I think, probably like you think, that if I keep feeding it, one day my inner self is going to go, I am so full and satisfied, I don't need anything else ever again. I don't need any more intimacy, I don't need any more relationships, I don't need any more money, I don't need any more recognition. Self is full, and now I'm happy. And so, I'm just here to serve everyone else because I don't need anything else ever again. I'm so full that I think I'm going to be full forever. We think like that. We we hope that one day we get to that kind of point. We, We think that by feeding our appetite, we are going to satisfy our appetites. But surely experience teaches that's not true. You know you can't satisfy an appetite, otherwise it wouldn't be an appetite. I mean, how many times have you finished a meal and said, I am so full, I don't think I'm ever going to be able to eat again. How many people have ever said something like that? Okay, a good number of you. 20 minutes later, maybe half an hour, you're rummaging around in the cupboard looking for something just to take the edge off your hunger. It's an appetite. It is only temporarily satisfied, and then it's got to have more, and then it's got to have a little bit more, and then it's going to want 
even more. You've got reputation appetites. You've got relationship appetites. You've got acceptance appetites. You've got prestige appetites. You've got financial appetites. You've got sexual appetites. You've got a power appetite. You know, it just goes on and on and on and on and on. We're just full of these appetites. And we operate on the premise that if I can just get enough of what I want, then someday I'm going to arrive at this place in life when I'm done wanting. But the truth is, every time you feed an appetite, you increase the capacity of the appetite. It never goes away. C.S. Lewis puts it this way, a glutton thinks about food as much as a man who is starving to death. They both think about food, both obsessed with food. The, The fact that the glutton has more than anyone can imagine doesn't mean he automatically stops thinking about getting even more. The glutton never comes to the place where he has eaten enough. That's all he thinks about. And you know something? We've got duped. We've got conned. We've got badly tricked somewhere. We've got tricked into thinking, if I could just get from you what I think I need, I don't know, there's a measure of acceptance, a measure of approval, a measure of money or toys, or a measure of sexual experience where I'll get full and just stay full forever, then everything will suddenly be fine. But the problem is, and this is what James is saying through this passage, at the end of the day, when you have done everything you can to get everything you want and everything you feel you need, when all is said and done, even then you're still not going to have what you want. Which means you're still going to have to battle depression. You're still going to be angry. You're still going to argue. You're still going to fight. Because no matter how much you have and how slick and rich and cool and popular you are, the end of the day, you are still not going to have what you want. And so you'll search for someone else to blame, someone else to quarrel with, someone else to fight because of your unhappiness and your discontentment inside. And James says, this is going to just keep playing out again and again and again. This is going to go on and on and on unless you start to develop a new attitude, unless you start getting a new perspective on life. You know what we do practically? We try and squeeze our happiness. We we try to squeeze our contentment out of the people and the environments that are closest to us. That's what we do, don't we? Maybe you get married and you look at him or her and think, all of my happiness is right there and I'm going to squeeze it out for all I'm worth. But you know what the other person's doing? They're thinking... There's all my happiness bundled up in that one person and I'm going to squeeze it out for all I'm worth. And so both parties end up squeezing each other to death. And eventually, tragically, what ends up happening in so many cases is they end up hating each other. And they wonder what went wrong. The the reason I'm unhappy is because of you. 
No, the reason I'm disconsented is because of you. No, if you would just do the following five things the way I'd like it done, then we may still have a future. But as long as you don't, I'm unhappy. And it's all your fault. That's the way. It plays out in all manner of contexts, not just marriage. I'm unhappy because of my boss. I'm unhappy because of my job. I'm discontented because I don't make enough money. I'm so disappointed with my kids or with my parents. It's like all the problems are continually out there with all those different people, with all those different environments. And do you know why? Because our natural approach to life is to embrace those people and those environments that are closest to us and try to squeeze all of our happiness and all of our contentment out of them. And guess what? It isn't there. And then we look at them and think, what is wrong with you? What is wrong with that? The reason I'm unhappy, the reason I'm disconsented, it's all because of you. And at the end of the day, when we've done all the squeezing we can, we still don't have what we want, and we get to the place where we think we're we're going to be full, and then we get hungry again. We head off in pursuit of another job, or another husband, or another wife, or another hobby, or another high, or another toy. And James says, come on, wake up. You are never going to get full and stay full. And you're always going to blame somebody else. And that's the root of all your difficulties. You know something? There's probably somebody not a million miles away from you who's feeling squeezed right now. There's somebody that you've made feel responsible for your unhappiness. And maybe you join their team, or you join their company, or you went into partnership with them, or you married them, or you joined their church, thinking that happiness was just round the corner. But maybe it hasn't quite turned out like that. Because nothing ever does. Because they are just as imperfect as you are. And perhaps they're looking for their happiness in you. And they feel squeezed, and they feel responsible, and you're mad at them because they're not what you thought they'd be, and they're mad at you because you're not what they thought you'd be. So James says, do you want to start growing up? Do you want to stop acting like children? Do you want to face up to something that has the potential to radically change your relationships? If you do, then would you just have the courage to simply say, you know what? My problem with you isn't actually all you. My problem with you is more a case of a battle inside me that I'm struggling to contain. And I'm not getting what I want. And I've blamed you. And I'm sorry. You know, that can transform a marriage. That can transform a partnership. That can transform a friendship. That can transform any relationship. And that's what James says. If your faith is going to work relationally, you've got to see your relationships through this lens. 
And then he gives us a solution. He gives us a bit of an alternative. He gives us a whole different way of thinking. And I think he does it in a sort of tongue-in-cheek way. It's like he's giving us a bit of a jab. In fact, <laughs> if you've been around this term, it feels like the whole book of James is a bit like that. You, it's a bit like a sparring session with him, and it's not particularly pleasant at times, and it can feel slightly uncomfortable. It's like his jab comes in, you should have known this, you should have known this, you should have known this. This isn't you, this isn't you, this isn't you. He keeps hitting us with these really basic truths that most of us here believe, but a lot of us struggle to apply to our everyday lives. Look what he says next, verse 2. You want something, but don't get it. You kill and cover, but you can't have what you want. You quarrel. You fight. And by the way, you do not have because you do not ask God. He's saying, have you ever thought of asking God for this stuff instead of trying to squeeze it out of everybody around you? Have you ever considered getting on your knees and saying, God, I'm so unhappy, and I've blamed everybody else, but I'm coming to recognize that maybe I've been looking in the wrong places. God, you're the source. God, you're the one I need to be looking to. Have you ever thought of going to God with all of this stuff rather than shooting down and killing the people around you? Has that ever crossed your mind? I mean, it is such a simple truth. We all know it. But for some reason, a lot of the time, we don't live as though we believe it. And so James kind of prods us, pokes us, punches us, and says, look, God is the source. God's the source. Just, just look back to James 1, verse 17. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Let me ask you, not a trick question, which good and perfect gifts come from God? Which ones? All of them, every single one of them. Who do they come from? God, that's right. Every, all of them, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, coming down from God, who doesn't change like shifting shadows. James says, your heavenly Father is the source of all, everything you need. And so, instead of squeezing the life out of everybody you love and the environments you work in, instead of squeezing your contentment and your fulfillment and your satisfaction out of the people around you, why don't you just look to God? It's like you've forgotten who the source ultimately is. I mean, are you mad or what? Why haven't you thought to include him in the whole equation? That means the next time your husband or your wife or your housemate or your son, your daughter, your parents, your boss lets you down, instead of going in there and letting them have it, why don't you go to God? Why don't you bring it to him? God, I'm mad with them. God, can't you see the way they have treated me? But I guess the reason I'm mad is because I'm not getting my own way. The reason I'm dissatisfied is because I've had unrealistic expectations of them. 
they're never going to be able to satisfy me the way that you can. So Father, right now I'm looking to you. You know what? You know what I need even better than I do? You understand me. You know the way I tick even better than I do. And you say, I don't have because I don't ask. So God, I'm asking right now. Now, the first Bible I ever owned, I remember underlining that little phrase in James 4, verse 2. You do not have because you do not ask God. It feels like it kind of gives permission to ask him for anything. Great thing to underline. But the other day, as I was just kind of flicking through that Bible again, I noticed that I'd failed to underline the following verse, and for good reason. But for the sake of completeness, I'm going to share it with you right now. Verse 3, when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. wonder why I didn't underline that bit. I mean, anyone here underline that bit in your Bibles? No, funny that. James says, you are constantly trying to satisfy your appetite that can't be satisfied. And when you come to God and you have permission to do this and you say, God, I need to make more money or I need a new car or I need a wife or I need a husband or I need a new wife or I need a new husband. James says, because he's a good father, every once in a while, he's going to say no to you. And at that point, you've got to decide who's going to be king, who's going to be in charge. He says, you're to bring every need, every request, every desire, every wish you have to God. You have permission to do that. And many times, God is going to say yes to you. But sometimes, he's going to say no. And you have to learn to take no for an answer because your heavenly Father knows what's best for you. And it's a whole lot better system than spending your life trying to squeeze your happiness and contentment out of people who were never intended to be the source of your happiness and your contentment. It's like a whole different way of thinking. And do you know what it will do? It will free you to do two things. It's so powerful. Wait, listen to this. First of all, it will free you to admit that in my heart of hearts, I'm mad, I'm angry, I'm depressed because I didn't get my way. And for some of you, for the very first time, it will free you to place yourself under the authority of Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life. Because either way, you're not going to get everything you want. Someone says, so, so why in the world should I go down this path? Because at the end of the day, even if I trust God, I still don't get everything I want. But let me tell you what you do get. You get the sense of peace that comes from knowing you are under the authority of your Heavenly Father. And he's going to ensure that every good and perfect gift that you need and can handle is entrusted to you. And at the same time, he will protect you from those things that you have the tendency to pursue which actually have the potential to damage or destroy your life. Because let's face it, there are some things that maybe you have manipulated your way into that sometime later you've wished you've never had, right? There are relationships, business deals, purchases that looking back you wish you'd never got involved with. 
It's like we have all kinds of potential to get things for ourselves we don't have any business having. And so today, perhaps you're loaded down with a whole load of debt, and you can't even remember what it was for. You're looking at your bank statements and thinking, how did I get this? It's easy. You decided that you were in charge of your life. You decided that if you wanted something, you just had to go out and get it. You decided perhaps that your ability or your finances were the source of every good thing for your life. And now you're loaded up with stuff that you don't even want, that that you wish you didn't have. And at the end of the day, you still aren't full. You, You still feel empty. And so, if you're brave enough to be honest today, you would agree with James. After you've murdered and coveted and manipulated and seduced, when all is said and done, you still don't have everything you want. And God would say to you right now, why live the rest of your life like that? Come on, there's a whole different way of living. And it begins with saying, God is my Father. He's the source of every good thing. And I'm going to learn to take no for an answer. If you're a parent, I don't know what your kids are like, but mine have a habit of asking me for stuff repeatedly, all the time. I mean, it's like every day is a barrage of requests. From the moment they wake up in the morning, can I watch this? Can we go there? Can we buy this? Can so-and-so come round? Can I have a fourth helping of pudding? Can I not go to school today? And it, it feels at times like I spend my entire life saying no to them. It's not like I'm some kind of mean, stingy dad or anything. It's not all the time. But a lot of the time, I can see that the things that they ask for just aren't going to be good for them. Now, they're not here to disagree with this. They might not agree. But I love saying yes to them. Do you know why I do that? Because there's somewhere in me, somewhere in the father part of me, a bit of the thumbprint of our heavenly father. That there's something of the image of God in me that loves to give good gifts, good things to my children when they ask. I love to say yes to them. But there's also something in me as their father that at times must say no for the very same reason that I love to say yes. And James says this, you have a father in heaven that loves to give good things to you. But that's based on the fact that you view him as the source and that you go to him for those things and that you trust that he loves to say yes more than he loves to say no, but when he says no, that he has a very good reason for it. And so, even if we don't understand, we'll learn to accept no as an answer. Because his grace is sufficient to more than compensate for every no that he gives us. Isn't that a great way to live? You see how it would bring you peace in the midst of all kind of relational difficulties you have right now. If you learn to see that your life and your spouse and your kids 
and your boss and your tutor and your employees and your business and your everyday frustrations, all of those things are simply tools, vehicles, which your Heavenly Father is going to use from time to time to give you good and wonderful things. They're, they're just vehicles. They're, they're just tools. They're, they're not the source, simply tools. And if we can look through that lens and simply evaluate every relationship through that lens. And at the end of the day, here's what happens. At the end of the day, you are able to stop blaming people for your unhappiness and your sense of discontentment in life. As we draw to a close, I want to ask you something. This is going to require some soul-searching and some honesty. Who in your life feels like they're to blame for your unhappiness? Who in your life feels like they're to blame for your occasional lack of contentment? Who in your life have you made to feel like if they would only change, then I'd be happy? Who is that person? And today, would you have the courage, would you have the obedience, would you have the guts to go to that person, even in a secular environment where they won't completely understand, they, they might think you've lost the plot, but even in that environment, go to them and say, whatever words you choose to use, I'm so sorry for the way I've treated you. I realise now that my real issue, my real problem isn't you. My real problem is just that I'm not getting my way. And I've been mad at you because I didn't get my way. And I am so sorry. Let me let you into a big secret. They already know that's your problem. They already know. You confessing this apart from the fact you're confessing it, it's not new information. It won't be a surprise to them. But they're not going to go, really? I mean, you mean I'm not the complete source of your unhappiness? Like, you mean part of the responsibility lies with you? I mean, you know, I never thought of it like that. I mean, I had no earthly idea. Wow! Suddenly, I feel so free. They already know what your problem is. This isn't a new revelation to them. It's simply you coming clean with them. It's saying, I'm simply admitting what we both already know but have never really talked about. Part of our problem, part of our conflict is a conflict in here that I've not been able to contain. And I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Let me just try and paint you the picture and then we're done. If you find me any two people, I don't care who they are, any two people who are willing mid-sentence, mid-conversation, mid-criticism, mid-temper, any two people who are willing to pause just long enough to simply say, you know what, before we go any further in this conversation, discussion, argument, row, I've just got to confess Part of my anger, part of what's spilling out at the moment is just that I'm not getting my way. 
And if the other person is also willing to go halfway and admit, well, if truth be told, part of my anger and part of my words and part of my frustration is because I'm not getting my way either, then I would suggest it is almost always going to diffuse that situation. You see, it's very hard to stay mad at someone when we're both on the same page like that. And James is saying, church, Christians, come on! The source of your external conflict is an internal conflict that you can't contain. The source of all these battles without is the battle within that has implications to everybody close by. And if you would take the step to own your own responsibility and to place yourself under the lordship of Jesus Christ and begin seeing him as the source and everything and everyone else around you as simply a tool, a vehicle, it has the potential to change all your relationships. Even if you're a victim, even if the other person really is to blame, it still has the potential to set you free from spending the rest of your life angry, depressed, and mad because you didn't get your own way. That's how powerful this is. I'd like to invite you to stand. We're going to pray.